You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Listen again to the emphatic nature of his words in verse 24. But God raised him up again. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power. Please notice how important the truth is in this verse. The bodily, historic, testified and confirmed resurrection of Jesus the Nazarene is the greatest proof that man was and is the eternal Son of God. Jesus didn't just die. If he died like everyone else, there would be no story to tell. There would be no difference between Jesus and everyone else who had come before him. No, he didn't just die. Jesus died and rose again from the grave. Death could not keep him. And today, Pastor Tom is going to show you why the bodily, historic, testified, and confirmed resurrection of Jesus proves once and for all that he is the Messiah. He is the eternal Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Logic on Fire, the church's first sermon. In case you have not yet figured it out, in your little corner of the world, we live in a society that is filled with lies and liars from top to bottom. Lies from the government, lies from the news, Hollywood stars, the media, schools lie, higher education lies, universities lie. Sometimes our family and our friends lie to us. What people call good today and they lecture other people about often is evil, and yet they call it good. What they decry with moral outrage is often something Jesus would hardly approve. Isn't that amazing? Most people, if you study them, they live as if God is not real and does not exist. Maybe they acknowledge he's there, but they live their lives as if God is inconsequential. One of the things we always hope that in our worship services is that is that we have a high view of God and a high view of the word of God, and we recognize that this is just a rehearsal for meeting God in the heavens. Um, and if people really could get a sense of what God is like in the heavens, they would not be so flippant about the way they approach life and God down here on earth. Would you agree? We are church placed here and then soon somewhere else and then soon after that somewhere else in order to proclaim truth because the educational systems of the world are failing. They're not giving truth. The um, the media is failing. They're not presenting truth. Our government's failing. They're not presenting truth. So God has his church. This is the institution that God is working towards to make sure everyone else hears truth because um, they're not going to hear truth from there. I mean, I know 2 plus 2 equals 4. I think they're still teaching that in the schools. But if we expand too much beyond that, we find out they're not getting the truth about life. We're here to preach truth, the eternal truth, truth of the living God. He's a God who doesn't change. So what he said was true thousands of years ago is still true now. doesn't change. Now, people can't change him, so they can't change his word. So truth is truth, and it always will be truth. Truth is not up for a vote. Truth doesn't get to change with the wind. It doesn't change with political correctness. It is what it is, and we always will preach and teach truth with the grace of God assisting us. 
fact, we're told that we are to tear down every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. That's our duty is to tear that down. This is an important part of our calling as a church, one we need to take seriously, truth, proclaiming truth. We've been studying the church's first sermon, a proclamation of truth right in the face of all kinds of lies in their generation as well. That's right. We're not the first generation to invent lying. It's been around a while. And uh, Peter's been our example. Peter, simple fisherman from Galilee, now baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, saw with his own eyes and touched with his own hands the resurrected Christ, that Peter, now standing in front of all host of very potentially hostile people to the cause of Christ, and he's preaching, preaching as a man on fire, combining irrefutable logic and fact with all of the conviction and passion that his heart could generate. And he's declaring magnificent truths about Jesus Christ, and we're going to get to hear more of those truths today as we turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, please uh, take that and open it to Acts 2. We're going to see the kind of messages that the church should be proclaiming in every age. This is what the church should sound like. If you're wondering, what should a church be preaching? Well, here it is. This was the first sermon um, from the first day of the church, born on the day of Pentecost, and Peter's preaching it, really on behalf of all the apostles. You could say any of the apostles would preach the same thing. He's their spokesperson. So this is apostolic doctrine. This is what Jesus wanted him to teach, and this is what we need to hear. The world needs to hear it. In fact, I would say that if you really look at this sermon, and that's what we're trying to do, you'll see that it hurt the people that it was preached to. And that's a little hint that when we preach truth, it hurts. And uh, that's okay. That's okay. In fact, it, it pierced them to the heart. It convicted them very, very hardly. It made them feel terrible about themselves, actually. That good Bible preaching makes people feel terrible about themselves, <laughs> at least initially. The good thing about the pain is the pain was short-lived. And it's much better to have short-lived pain now than to have eternal pain later. It's much better to have the pain now and have joy later. And so that's what good truth does. It it, it, it uh, uncovers the mask. It, it blows away the fog. It takes away the mirage and all of the lying and the exaggeration and the human pomp. And it says it like it is. And if you're willing to hear it, you'll have pain now, but you'll have joy for eternity. That's the beauty of this sermon. Let's read it again. I'll start in chapter 2, again, verse 14, and go all the way to... Uh, where he ends, although we'll make mention of verse 37 today as well. Verse 14, but Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon and the blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs 
which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. What an amazing sermon. And we've been following it through the outline that he provides here. Peter just treks along here in a chronological order, starting with the life ministry of Christ and went on to his death. We talked about those two last time. And then today into his resurrection following his death. And then really to the climax and Jesus's climax as well, all the way to the ascension. We covered the life of Jesus last time. What did we see? We saw that the life of Jesus, chronicled, documented by eyewitnesses, was a supernatural life. When people today say we want to understand the historic Jesus, if they don't understand that he performed multiple, genuine, true, supernatural, public miracles of every kind, if they don't understand that that was true of the historic person called Jesus of Nazareth, then none of the historical study and none of their historical conclusions are worth anything at all. They're not education, they're prejudice. This man and every eyewitness that saw him, his enemies, his friends, people that were trying to figure him out, everybody concluded he was a miracle-working man, not a man who had tricks, but a man who had power, power unseen by any other man in the history of this world. Jesus was unique, and it was confirmed by everybody who saw him. Every, every testimony we have of the life of Jesus from anyone who saw him or heard him says he did miracles of every kind, changing nature, raising men from the dead, healing every kind of disease, commanding spirits. He was in charge of that. And then it all led to his death. They were afraid of him, intimidated by him. They hated him without a cause, as he said, and it led to his death. And his death was consequential too. His death wasn't just an example. Many of the liberal Protestant churches think Jesus was a good example by dying in a loving kind of way. That only gets that much of understanding the death of Jesus. His death was part of an eternal plan, a predestined plan. God put into motion before the world was even made that there would be sin in the world. There would be man that's made and man would fall into sin and then he would send a redeemer. The Lamb of God, the Bible says, was slain even before the foundation. 
foundation of the world. This was all part of God's plan to demonstrate his glory, to demonstrate his hatred towards sin and his love towards and his mercy towards those who'd fallen into sin and that would call him. This was something God wanted to show through the death of Jesus. Put Jesus up high. What kinds of forms of death put someone up high to see how they die? Jesus was killed by the Romans because this was what God wanted. Put him up high, put him up public, and you'll see what God thinks of sin. He hates it. That's what he does with it. But you'll also see what God thinks of sinners. He loves them and will save them. And this is the length to which he will go, to put his son up there, bloody, crucified, suffering, and in shame just to save our souls from his wrath and his burning hell that is coming. All of that was to teach us. It was to save us also. His death was a substitutionary death. He died in the place of sinners. If he did not die in the place of sinners, sinners would pay for their own sin. It's that simple. And so we love God and Christ for coming and dying for us. But anyone who says that's where the story ends, again, pays no attention at all to the eyewitnesses and the message of the Bible. It is, again, to bring prejudice and the prejudicial eyes to the text of Scripture and not realize that all four of the Gospels start in their first chapter, chapter 1, and they work towards their last chapter. And in every one of the last chapters, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20 and 21, Luke chapter 24, Mark chapter 16, Matthew chapter 28. There it is. You come to the book of Acts, the resurrection of Jesus. You go to the book of Romans. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus from the beginning. You go to 1 Corinthians. There's a whole chapter on the the doctrine of the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection, not only of Christ, but our resurrection in the future, and carry it all the way through the Revelation. I don't have time to talk about every book of the New Testament. And there it is. He stands in chapter one of Revelation and he says, I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades right there for what you see and send it to the seven churches. The resurrection is central to everything. It's our joy to take a look at it today, and isn't it wonderful that it's not even Easter and we get to study the resurrection. So look at this part of the sermon with me, his resurrection. If you really think about this here, as Peter is preaching on this day, and he started talking about the Holy Spirit, and he, and he quoted Joel, and then he moved on, and he, and he quoted more of the, the Psalms. He talked about Jesus' life. Really, what Peter wanted to get to, the main thing that Peter wanted to get to in his sermon was the resurrection and the ascension. That really was the point of this sermon, this first sermon. Not so much to talk about the miracles. Those were amazing. Not so much to talk about the death of Jesus. That was unparalleled as well. But to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Listen again to the emphatic nature of his words in verse 24. But God raised him up again. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power. Please notice how important the truth is in this verse. The bodily, historic, testified and confirmed resurrection of Jesus the Nazarene is the greatest proof that man was and is the eternal son of God. That man is the king of the nation of Israel. That man is the heir of the entire world. That man is the one favored by God. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that. It's true enough that Jesus' life was wonderful particularly his supernatural ministry. We like to talk about the man who walked on water. That's great. That's wonderful. It was unparalleled in the annals of human history. Others have never done anywhere near what Jesus did in terms of the miraculous. There is no philosopher. There is no religious leader anywhere that you can read about that did this and that it was documented by eyewitnesses. It's just not there. And true enough, his death was wonderful. It fulfilled prophecy, did it not? 
It revealed the matchless sacrificial love of God. We already said that. It paid for all of the evil acts that you and I have ever committed. This is true. However, if you study, and you should, and we will, the apostolic preaching of the early church, and in this book, the book of Acts, you cannot but be convinced that this event, the resurrection of Jesus, was the central point of all evangelistic teaching and preaching. Rather than Peter explaining all the intricacies of what the death of Jesus Christ accomplished, he really didn't talk about any of that here, you may notice. When the apostles took their stand as a group with Peter out front, and Peter was the spokesman and he was preaching the gospel, it was the resurrection he got to and talked about the most. Why? And you need to know this for your evangelism as well, your personal evangelism. When you go talking to other people, you need to never, ever forget to talk about and camp on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection was the proof Jesus was the Messiah. It was the most important sign Jesus ever performed. At one time, even though he performed a lot of signs, he said, no sign will be given this evil generation except the sign of Jonah as he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and three nights. I'm going to give you just one sign, he said, just one super sign, and it's going to be the resurrection, and that's all you're going to get. Well, it was good enough. It was good enough. Listen, rather than the crucifixion proving Jesus was not from God, remember the Jewish leaders that mocked him on the cross? They kept saying, if you're of God, get yourself down from the cross. Remember that? Rather than the the crucifixion proving Jesus was not really from God, the resurrection proved beyond any doubt he was not only from God, he was the son of God. Romans 1, 4. Jesus was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Rather than the death of Jesus disqualifying him from being the Messiah, as we learned last time, the resurrection makes it abundantly clear who God's man is. Nobody else is in the same stratosphere as Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody. Boast about him, brag about him. He is the greatest. To put anybody even close to the same status as Jesus is to insult Jesus Christ. Think about this. Of all the people who have ever lived on this planet, how many do you think that is? I have no idea. There's like, what, 7 billion now? So you try to think how many lived, you don't really know. Billions and billions, right? Men and women, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, all the continents. God let all of them die, except for Enoch and Elijah. He let all of them die. All of them. God's the giver of life. Here we are, suffering and struggling, and he lets all of us die. That's right. That's what God does. He lets all of us die. We all die, right? I mean, you guys are looking at me like I'm nuts. We all die, right? God kept none of them and us alive. None. People want to say, well, I don't think I'm a sinner. Then why is God letting you die? Think about that. God raised permanently. From the dead, only one life. Now, if God said nothing else, that says a lot. All the rest of you I disapprove of. His life, he pleases me. What did God say directly from the heavens without a mediator when Jesus was baptized? This is my 
beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I guarantee you, when I was baptized, that was not said about me. And I'm willing to bet it was not said about you. That's why we had to be washed. Boy, when he came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John the Baptist freaked out. He said, no, I should be baptized by you. And he said, permit it. We're fulfilling all righteousness this way. Just amazing. Christ is one life. Only that life pleased God. Only that life was innocent. You know, people ask all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? And there's a pretty good answer to that. And the answer is they don't. Bad things don't happen to good people. There are no good people. But what about the babies? Well, unfortunately, the babies are born into a world of sin. And um, we all are responsible for that. The only good person that a bad thing ever happened to is Jesus of Nazareth. And God refused to let that bad act stand. They killed him. That was bad. They murdered the Son of God. That's a bad thing. If you were Jesus, you could complain and say, well, what did he say on the cross? My God, my God, what? Why hast thou forsaken me? But God refused to let that stand. That was wrong. He, he would not let that stand. And so the Jews of that generation, with their pompous, unteachable hearts, they took their Messiah, their king, and they nailed him to a cross. And God said, that's not right, and that's not going to stand. And he reversed it. He changed it. He brought, they killed him. God brought him back to life. They tried to do away with him. God just brought him right back. So this is not going to work. Even though it was God's predetermined plan to have Jesus nailed to the cross, it was still an evil act by men. God would not let it stand. By the way, God set a plan in motion that his son would be killed, and uh, God himself didn't do it. He put the plan in motion, but it was the Jews who cried, crucify him, crucify him. It was the Romans who actually carried out the nailing of it. So you could say Jesus used the mediators of the Jews and and the Romans because it involved an evil act. But when it came to raising Jesus from the dead, he used no mediator at all. Uh, It's not men who raised Jesus from the dead. It's not angels who raised Jesus from the dead. Aliens did not raise Jesus from the dead. God decided to do that act directly himself. And notice Peter says the resurrection put an end to the agony of death, the pains of death, the hold of death on him. Peter explains that this was because it was impossible for death to hold the Messiah. I like that. It was impossible. Peter is personifying death here. Death's like a jailer who tried to grasp Christ's dead body in the tomb, gleefully having his long bony fingers all around the body of Jesus, wrapped around that scourged and crucified bleeding body, right? And he's there just putting his chest out and flexing his muscles and basking in his power and glory. Here's the supposed life giver, and I've got him now. He's mine. The Messiah's body was death's grand trophy to hold in his hand because death defeats all others. I heard somebody, I was reading, and I think I got this right, that Tom Brady's playoff record now is uh, 26 and 9. Not so bad. 26 wins and 9 losses. Some of you hate that. Back in the day, it was a quarterback named Bart Starr. His was uh, even a better percentage, Green Bay quarterback. Nine wins and one loss. It's very, very good. Death's record is something like 20 billion to zero. He is undefeated. Death. No wonder he's so boastful about things. He's undefeated, that is, until Jesus. 
Early that Sunday morning, some divine light shone from the tomb, and death began to lose his grip. Death panicked. He flexed his muscles, but then he began to scream. He tried so desperately to hang on to this body. But in a burst of divine life-giving impulse straight from the throne room of God in heaven, the giver of life, death realized this is impossible. I cannot hang on to him anymore. We live in a society of lies. Our society is continually trying to convince themselves and each other that God doesn't exist. But in today's message, Pastor Tom showed us that God does indeed exist, and our purpose here is to share the message of the unchanging God. The church today is supposed to sound exactly the same as it did on the day of Pentecost. We are here to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443-200-HOPE. Death was undefeated until Jesus came along. Everyone else in the world died and stayed dead, but Jesus was not allowed to remain in the grave. Following the resurrection of Christ, death lost its victory. It lost its sting. When we come back next time, Pastor Tom is going to show you why the resurrection of Jesus is the key to everything and vital to your life. What was it about his resurrection that disarmed death? There's so much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.